And don't you dare touch that dial. You have you have it tuned to AM 1045, KAOP, Seattle's premier music AM radio station. <laughs> the only one, I would dare say. Uh, we are the only one. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm Joseph. And this is Accents on Purpose, a weekly radio show where we cover all the music of Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not just music, though. Uh, sometimes not just music. Yeah. Uh, but, Joseph, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. You know, I'm in the holiday spirit of things. I'm loving that cold weather, but I do feel like I let Seattle down a little bit. There was uh, one of my favorite bands from Toronto that came through a couple weeks ago. And I wait, wait, wait. Now, was it one of your favorite bands who happened to be from Toronto, or one of your favorite bands from Toronto because you like like eighty-three bands from Toronto? <laughs> the former. I only know of like three bands from Toronto. If uh, you're in a band in t- Toronto, email us at Accents on Purpose uh, podcast we'll, we'll at, add you to the list at gmail.com. Bands from Toronto. No, but called- send us some demos. Send us some tweets. Uh, don't send us demos. There's, we can't do anything with them. Send us all. We'll send- shop them around for you. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're called Grays, G-R-E-Y-S, and I really want everyone to check them out. And I'm sorry, they'll probably come back next year, so keep Wait, where were that. they playing? They played, uh, the Black Lodge with Merso, and I missed them. Oh. Yeah, and I'm really sad about that, and I'm sad I didn't get the word out. Love those guys. Anyway, how are you, Danny? Not too bad. Uh, at the opening, we just heard a track from, uh, Versing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Early Spring. Which is off the Shout Your Abortion Volume 1 compilation tape of Seattle bands that mm-hmm. I picked up at the Shout Your Abortion Benefit. Yeah, Chop Fooey. <laughs> Chop Fooey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the show was pretty good, <laughs> except for the 427 raffle prizes <laughs> yeah, so that raffles. was given away. You and, don't like raffles? Um. You know, on a weeknight when there's uh, like 18 like, yeah, bands. Yeah, like five or six bands. Yeah, when there's 18 bands playing on a weeknight, uh, I would prefer to use a cliche, less talk, more. Rock? And roll. Uh, but anyways, uh, I did buy the tape. Uh, it was probably the best $7 I spent all week. Uh, I don't know if you can get What's this. What's the worst $7 you spent all week? Uh, that would be, uh, I bought a bowl of uh, teriyaki duck. Uh-huh. No, I'm lying. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> like, what's there? Because I can never go to any teriyaki places because they never have uh, vegetarian options. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so, yeah. Anyways, uh, but ton of great bands on here, uh, some of which have been on the show. Childbirth, uh, Wimps, uh, SSDD. And some other band, Mommy Longlegs, uh, and then some bands who haven't been on, so uh, we're not going to talk about you, because you're not returning our emails. Return our calls. Return our, yeah. <laughs> Sorry we're calling at work from a payphone, but either, we, you please come on our show. Uh, man. Joseph, and it is, um, it is Christmas time. It is. What are you going to get me? Uh, I'm going to get you a comic book. Sweet. Uh, do you like I comic books? Like I already read it. Do you like it? Well, no, that's my copy. Oh. Uh, do, you, do you like comic books? I love comic now, books. Now, do you like comic books that don't star Cape Crusaders? You know what? I do. I've uh, reiterated that I do several times. Just because I love Batman doesn't mean I don't love <laughs> things that aren't Batman. You really like that new trailer, don't you? <laughs> I do like the new trailer. Okay, so, Joseph, uh, if you enjoy comics that aren't about Cape Crusaders, you might just like our next guest. Hey, yeah, I, I think I will. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. We have Gina Siciliano. Did I say your last name correctly? Yeah, yeah, that sounds Great. good. Yeah. Uh, uh, she is the author of I Know What I Am. Part one, two, and forthcoming three. Uh, now, would you uh, like to explain to our audience a little yeah. bit about your comic? Sure, yeah. Um, okay. So the project is a historical uh, graphic novel about a 17th century painter named Artemisia Gentileschi. Um, Artemisia is has been gaining notoriety and fame gradually throughout the years. Due to your um, comic. Not due to my comic <laughs> yet. <laughs> Maybe at some point. Um, she was born in 1593. Um, and she learned how to paint from her father, and uh, she lived a long, really intense, really amazing life in 17th century Italy, primarily Italy, um, and uh, also other areas of of Europe. 
So, I've set about the task of trying to illustrate her entire life story with comics. So I've got the first part and the second part done and are available. And the last part I'm in the middle of working on right now. Um, I've been working on this project for a really long time. It's been a few years of uh, a lot of research. Um, I've kind of dedicated to my, myself to historical accuracy. Um, and I've got another couple years to go on it. And I'm really excited about it. Um, there's a lot of different elements of her life. Um, there's a lot of different... Uh, just really intense uh, subject matter in the throughout the book. Yeah. So I mean, and one thing is, uh, I think you know you are focusing on her, but you know at the same time, <clears throat> it's kind of. I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but using yeah. her to talk about a lot of issues of the time, sure, specifically yeah. like, sure. uh, like I'd say, you know, obviously one would be gender, uh, like class, religion. Re- I mean, religion Absolutely. is yeah. a huge one. And so you really set the, like, to really understand her story, you take not, and not too much time, but like a good amount of time, like setting an awesome backdrop so you feel, Absolutely. Yeah. you understand the decisions that she makes and that other people make and how crazy, how, I don't know, some like the way life was in Rome, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in the 1600s, 1500s, Definitely. like, and to be a painter, like, I never knew that came with murder and like, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you you have a pretty like you know wide lens on her, and then also, can you talk a little bit about like the style it's done in? Because that's for our listeners, for fuck's sake, go out and buy the comic. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah. kind of weird talking about something so visual as a comic. But uh, yeah, so yeah. can you talk a little bit about the style because it's a yeah, very very totally. specific and intentional. Interesting yeah, style. Um, the whole graphic novel is done in ballpoint pen. Um, uh, the main reason for that is just honestly because that's the medium I'm most comfortable in at this point. Um, I've been doing comics for a long time. I've been drawing comics for years and years. I've been self-publishing comics forever. A lot of my previous work was like super um, gritty, uh, sort of semi-autobiographical punk rock comics. Um, a lot of them had to do with music. Um, and sort of the, the ballpoint pen really lent well to that, to that style. Um, and with this project, there's so many elements of the project that are totally outside of my comfort zone that I decided to use one medium that would fit in one element of the project that would be in my comfort zone, which was ballpoint pen. Um, and I find also that I can get a really cool depth with ballpoint pen that I just haven't found with a lot of other mediums. The other thing that's happening a lot in the pages is that I'm, re- I'm sort of recreating the paintings. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm not able to use color for for the main. The, there's color on the cover, uh, as you can see, but uh, inside the book, I'm not able to use color. So the ballpoint pen, I'm able to kind of get. Uh, almost like a painterly etching totally. kind of feel. There's able, so much detail in there. Like it's yeah. not like you use ballpoint pen to phone it in. It's intimate and detailed. Yeah, the art's incredible. I'm able. I'm able to get a, a wide variety of line quality with the ballpoint pen. Um, I'm also able to like I I copy the paintings, the images of the paintings into the narrative of the story, and uh, ballpoint pen has been really great for that. I'm able to um, just build it up layer by layer. I, I, I thumbnail everything, of course, like fanatically. And then as soon as I'm able to start drawing the actual pages, I'm able to kind of build up the ballpoint pen in layers. Mm. And I, I pen in all the black areas and I'm able to kind of build it up almost like a painting. And I am a painter too. Um, Oh, I've done a lot of oil painting. Yeah, but that, that's yeah. not why we had you on the show. We're not talking about paintings. Let's try well, to stay I'm, on point. I'm drawing. <laughs> I'm drawing a graphic novel about painting, yeah. which is kind of, so. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to. Uh, it's been kind of hard to uh, balance the medium, you know. But. But I mean, not just you don't just recreate the paintings, but like I feel that you know, like each of the panels in itself looks like a 17th century painting. 
Was that intentional? Yeah, I mean, um, I've spent a lot of time with these paintings, a lot of time studying them, and I'm definitely trying to just... Uh, Aramisia is really famous uh, as one of the only followers of Caravaggio, and Caravaggio has been uh, really famous in the past uh, 10 or 20 years. Who did a comic book um, <laughs> Well, he's in my book a lot, but um, he's really famous for his lighting, um, he was sort of one of the first painters to do a lot of the chiaroscuro. Um, even even what people is, what doing. What does that mean for that, our listeners? Um, yeah, <laughs> chiaroscuro is kind of a. You're listening. So. Yeah. <laughs> chiaroscuro is kind of like a semi-technical term. It refers to uh, the high contrast of light and dark in a single oh. imagery. So a lot of Caravaggio's paintings are very dark. Lots of of uh, blacks, dark browns, and then the figures are sort of emerging out of that darkness and so that's kind of what chiaroscuro means it's almost cinematic in a way even a lot of like filmmakers have been really drawn to his paintings Mm -hmm. there's something very theatrical and cinematic about his use of light and dark so um so i wanted to kind of recreate that atmosphere in the graphic novel as well and also and also you did you did and also in the 17th century i mean people just they didn't they didn't have electricity yeah and you had candlelight and so there's a lot of candlelight in Caravaggio's art and in Artemisia's art. And uh, I'm trying to consider that for each panel, there would be one light source, there would be one light, there wouldn't be a lot of light. And then especially for some of the like crazy nighttime things that are happening, there's not a lot of light. It's, it's a city that's not lit up like yeah. the city is lit up now. And so I've tried to take that into consideration too. One of my favorite, one of my favorite things uh, that's like kind of straight off in the comic that really put things into perspective about the story is you say like in the 1600s, painting has power, which is something that I think like painting may be a little lost on me in the age of like Netflix and like sure, all this yeah. stuff. Like you I don't just, have a Netflix account. I, I, I do. Uh, no, you don't. I, well, I steal cable. I don't. Uh, um, so it's it, that was a really interesting. Netflix is an on cable. <laughs> this is a really interesting way. <laughs> I'm glad you're focusing on this aspect of the podcast. You know what? I want to fact check you. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, rule number one: I lie. Okay. I you lie. do. You lie to me every day. Uh, but I just really like that. It really put me in the mindset of like how people view painting then and how much power it had and why the Pope is so fucking involved in it. Yeah. Like, definitely. which was crazy to me. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been well, thinking it, about that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and along those lines, too, it's like, you know, you point out that uh, artists did, they couldn't completely express themselves because there was kind of like a status quo about what you could and couldn't do in paintings. But then different people try to do like tricky little things. Yeah, uh, you can talk absolutely. Like a little bit about absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I've been thinking about just what painting meant then and, and compared to now and how political it was then, um, especially for the third part that I'm in the middle of working on right now. Um, yeah, and I mean, it just it just can't be, it just can't be underestimated, like how powerful um, painting was. I mean, all the most wealthy, uh, pre- prestigious uh, nobles, everyone who wanted to prove their their power, their prestige, their wealth, their status. They had to acquire paintings. Mm. And being educated about great art was like part of being brought up as a noble person, being Mm. a wealthy person. And definitely the class differences in 17th century Europe are just phenomenal. I mean, uh, so um, certainly artists were, were really involved in their relationships with their patrons. And... And uh, uh, definitely that comes to play a lot in the, in the third part of the book um, with the Thirty Years' War. Ooh. And so that's that the climate of the Thirty Years' War. I mean, and artists were, uh, they were also just, um, they were spies. They were negotiating with, with wealthy people. Oh, wow. They were painting portraits. They were involved in politics. Their paintings were political in a lot of different kinds of ways. I mean, a lot of artists just worked for their patron. Their patron would take care of them in return. And their goal as artists was to pretty much just elevate that patron in whatever way possible. We can see that happening with, you know, most most well-known families of the Medici, for instance. I call them hacks. 
attacks. <laughs> I don't know. Any it's pretty of that. intense. It's pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, I mean, painters like Rubens are really f- uh, popular nowadays, uh, but in his day, Rubens was one of the mo- the prime um, political negotiators of the 1620s. I mean, Rubens pretty much negotiated with uh, with Spain, with England. He brought about a, a, a peace treaty between Spain and England. I mean, his role in politics, and maybe even Artemisia's, maybe even Artemisia's father. This stuff is really difficult to find out about, partially because I'm here in Seattle and I'm not able to go to Europe, partially because I only speak can... English, I can't speak, I can't speak, speak Italian, so that's... Yeah. And also, I mean, people were, uh, artists were highly involved in political intrigue, but it was also incredibly dangerous. Yeah. You could die if you said the wrong thing. Um, if you professed the wrong faith, you could die easily. You could be tortured. Um, you, you know, the stakes were really high, really high for artists. But of course, these are, these are the most prestigious, sort of noble, uh, elevated artists. I mean, the same as it is now, there was like art and then there was art. Right. You know, so, but the most... Uh, but the most sort of famous, well-known artists were definitely painting political imagery in a lot of different ways, for wow. sure. Uh, and then, so just, I mean, we talked about how you framed, like, the story and, like, the way you, that you drew it. But one of the more interesting things I thought about was actually the way you narrate it or the way the narrator is. Because it's, like, this omnipotent narrator, but it, like, it's more that it's, like, talking to the reader and sometimes it asks questions uh, like addressing the fact that one you as the writer don't actually know what was going through these people's heads and then since this happened so long ago there's actual just like gaps in history where nobody knows exactly what happened uh, and so the, the, the thing it's a very interesting uh, it's a very interesting way to narrate it and I was like how you came up with that style yeah, I mean, it's been kind of hard for sure, and the style has definitely like evolved. I I work with an amazing editor. That's the first thing um, that has been really important for the evolution of the the writing, especially the narration. Um, my friend Jason Conger is my editor, and he's amazing. And so basically, everything that I write for this project, and again, he's been with me for the long haul. Um, everything he reads through and we have a dialogue and I've cut out a ton of stuff because of him and I everything in here goes through a long process of editing everything's been reworked and stripped down and my voice my my narration the style of my uh, narrative voice has definitely evolved in a good way Um, there's so many names there's so many dates there's so many uh, there's so much information it's hard to, yeah. to, to make it all concise. And again, especially for the third part that I'm working on now, a lot of it is just trying to keep it clear. And then the scholarship on Artemisia, I mean, if you start researching her, you're, you're researching scholars arguing, basically. <laughs> you're re- you, you know, you delve into like, the oh, world. This or, yes. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, this yeah. Happened. You're, you, you delve into this world of... Um, and it's a world that's really uh, sort of distanced from, like, you and me and bands and hanging out and yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's a very scholarly world um, where art historians are analyzing the paintings. They're coming at the paintings from different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got social historians. They're coming at it from different angles. Americans look at the paintings differently than people in Italy. Italian scholarship is really rooted in early 20th century, um, some of the same early 20th century scholarship that's been going on still, like, you know, some of the Italian scholarship I hear is a little more old school or or whatever in a sense. Um, Americans tend to be really hung up on uh, Artemisia's personal life and more of her biography. I mean... It's hard to know what voice to take. And then asking questions, I mean, it's just like, I just don't know how else to do it because there's so much that we don't know. Yeah. Um, there's a huge note section in the back of each part where I can kind of... I like that. Come, because, <laughs> and I, I think that you have to be really, really careful when you're rewriting history. 
Yeah. Uh, I think that there's been a few different books written, novels about Artemisia, and there's a French movie about her. What's it and called? Uh, it's just called Artemisia. Mm. What and, was it made? Uh, it was made, I think it was made in the 90s. It was extremely controversial because of the way they rewrote history. Um, and the movie is beautiful, but like terrible. It has like, it, it is also, it, uh, it is a really good example of someone who like hears about Artemisia or sees a painting and just rolls with it. And it does not pay attention at all to like historical documents. Which, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, we artists... We to do that with history. Yeah, and I mean, artists and directors, you know, we've all got, histor- you know, like, creative license to make a good story. But on the other hand, I feel that we have to do these people justice. Yeah, especially we've, if you're the only person making a movie about them. Right, like, that's the only movie right. That and, they're, and they claim that their movie was, like, a true story. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, that. so they sort of misrepresented uh. her. And I mean... So, you know, I'm asking these questions, and I've included a notes section, and uh, the narrative voice is the way it is, is because I'm trying to rewrite history, but I'm trying to do the characters, do these people justice. Yeah. I'm trying to portray them accurately, and also just admit that there's so much we don't know. I mean, over half of Artemisia's paintings are lost. We don't know where they are. They if you have up. any of her paintings, email us at purposepodcast <laughs> yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, totally. We have a huge warehouse. <laughs> we'll just put them in there with, with well, theirs. And, and then, another, I mean, t- talking about, like, you know, your version of what her history is versus what someone else is, I thought you did a very interesting thing where in the introduction section you pointed out that if dialogue is in lowercase letters, that means it's actually taken from, like, court transcripts yeah that was yeah. cool and I was like wow that's a really like one that's something that could only I mean, maybe it could be done in a book but like it could only really be done in printed matter like you yeah, couldn't you totally. couldn't have a movie that's like okay when this you're right th- this dot is in the bottom of the screen that like, means that it's, it's actual <laughs> dialogue you'd be like when they really talk good. in this voice yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it flows so well like you notice it but it's not like you're like well, that it, happens a, a lot in yeah. this part. Cool. Like, but it, part yeah. happens a lot. Too. But, but it's weird because it is it's something that like you notice, but it's not like jarring. And uh, I thought that was like, wow, that's a really like interesting way to point out what is... Because that's also you putting out to your audience, like, okay, this is the shit that I made up. Uh, yeah, like, you know, I mean, totally. They're, they're, totally. Yeah, because totally. sometimes, yeah, like two characters walking down the street having a conversation, there's no way that you're going to know what it's like. But, but I, you can, I mean, but, you can make an... A, can I finish my sentence? No, you can make an education, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but the reader should know, I mean, it's like one of those things of like the reader should know, it's like, okay, well, this is just the author's idea to move the story along. Yeah, and It's like kind of like basic ideas. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's absolutely important to tell my audience exactly how I came up with the decisions I did and exactly how I made stuff up. Because again, I mean, I think I think uh, I think rewriting history is an, is a is a huge job to take on, and it's so easy to misrepresent people, and it's so easy to like twist different narratives in different ways. It's already happened with Artemisia, and then again, going back to artists like Rubens. I mean, the Nazis were writing about Rubens and trying to make it out like he was some sort of n- Nazi. I mean, it's like it's the first so, Nazi. You know yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, be, you know, so it's like you know. Rubens <laughs> was the first I, Nazi. I mean, in the thirties, they rebuilt his mansion because Whoa. they, you know, because they wanted to have Man, set it up. But at the same time, the funding for that project was because you know they they wanted to project their views onto Rubens and even Rembrandt and. You know, Hmm. I mean, obviously that's a really extreme example, but I mean, and you know, and then uh, Artemisia was sort of uh, brought to light, if you will, like in the 70s and 80s when Mary Gerard started writing about her. And Mary Gerard was definitely like a feminist scholar. And um, uh, a couple of Artemisia's most famous paintings were painted around the same time that she was raped by one of her father's friends. And so feminist scholarship has been, uh, especially in the 80s and 90s, uh, on the one hand, they did a really good job of just bringing attention to an artist that had been largely, well, sort of forgotten. Although even her legacy after she died has been uh, 
debatable. But, uh, but then a lot of that feminist scholarship was criticized. Uh, people thought that uh, Mary Gerard was sort of putting Artemisia in a box, taking her out of context. Mm. They thought that, you know, that she was projecting modern feminism onto Artemisia and things like that. And so it's, I'm grappling with that. It seems like so many no things. matter who's written about Artemisia, someone retaliates you, putting her into a box, whatever different box yeah. that is. And it seems like sure. you're trying really hard to avoid putting her in a yeah, box. Yeah, absolutely. Like, see the full yeah, and that's why there's so much contextual stuff and political stuff. Like, yeah. this is what Rome looked like. Here's yeah, yeah. here's these crazy things that were happening in Rome so I can sort of create a context and then put her into it yeah. rather than sort of take her out of context and project my stuff onto her. That being mm. said, I mean, I do really want her to be like this badass feminist hero or whatever. Yeah. I, I do, admittedly, I want that, you know, but yeah. I've got, I just, I've, I really have to be, I want to be careful. I want to, I want to do this right. You know, I really want to do it right. Yeah, it's hard to not view history the way you want to view it. Like, exactly. Like, I remember, yeah. mm -hmm. like, when I was 11, I was learning about World War II, and I was like, man, the Americans are the best. Like, I can't believe how amazing we are. We saved the world. And, and then, then you're like, like my yeah, my sister's <laughs> husband, who's like you know he 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 was a professor at UW, was like I remember he gave me this one book and was like hey you know just so you know there's like this whole scope of things and I was like no yeah like, you mean we're not heroes yeah, all yeah. the time like, you, you mean, mean like Russia like did more yeah exactly yeah like, like yeah like, like oh I've been you know yeah mildly yeah well I find that things you know especially like in. Uh, you know, pop culture. It's like things get really simplified. Everyone wants like a really happy like rape revenge story. Everyone yeah, yeah. wants Artemisia to get out a knife and stab the. You know, it's like everyone wants this like girl with the dragon tattoo thing where we get this like really satisfying revenge narratives. But that's not. I mean, reality is just complicated. Yeah, totally. Things are really nuanced and complicated, and I want to be able to use comics to to Definitely. grapple with that yeah. instead of just making like a fun, satisfying. Story. Yeah, Whatever. It's be, that, you know, it's, it's, there's yeah. got to be more because that's that's reality, you know. And that's one of the reasons that like I hate pop culture, <laughs> right? Because I mean, me too. It, I think it's so distilled well, you know? because like so much of it is like taking things and turning it into a caricature, sure, and then yeah. like just holding on to that caricature. Yeah. yeah. And so you have like people who've led like really long, complicated lives. But for some reason, like, they're kind of famous for one thing, and then people only know them for that one thing. Yeah. And, and like, if you try to talk about something else, they, like, make a joke about, like, the other thing. And, like, well, what about that? And it's, and it's, it's hard mm -hmm. to talk about complicated yeah, things. Because definitely. Because in, in a sense, and I'm going to get a fuck on my, get on my fucking soapbox, pop culture is actually consumer culture. Right. And it's hard right, to sell right. complicated things, uh -huh. but it's easy to sell simple things exactly and that's why I, fucking I see that pop culture all the time yeah sucks totally God, i hate pop culture so i know much. i mean i work at a bookstore so i see people buy like what the most frivolous have? bullshit but something complicated i work at half price books which one the u district one. okay nice. yeah. i work around the corner from there oh really Where you, you, uh, you know uh, so you know sundance cinema yeah yeah there's a, a floor of office space up there and that's where oh, my day cool. job is oh cool okay yeah we'll come yeah, say hi at the bookstore or something hey <laughs> <laughs> sorry just trying to keep zinging you uh that was the last episode hey hey uh, so wait a minute okay so that leads me to a question uh have you seen your comic come through yet Yes! It Have you really? By counter last week. Holy shit! That's exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. I was really so excited. I was like, you, you, so I was doing the buy too. <laughs> yeah. Did you say anything to him? I did. It turned out it was the, a guy who actually had met me. I felt bad. Oh! I, I was like, I don't remember you, but he was very sweet. He was a. Uh, turned out he's like a friend of a friend okay. who had he had actually met me like once before, um, and he had. His buy was amazing. I mean, he had a ton of good, cool graphic novels. Does that make you feel better that you're yeah, a good company? Yeah, <laughs> I was really excited. I was like, yeah, my book came through. I feel like That's official. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was good. Uh, you know, actually, I was just talking to someone uh, who he'd, he'd written a few books. And he was like, <clears throat> he's like, he told me, he's like, yeah, if you ever write a book, which I don't know, he said if, not when. But uh, <laughs> you're never going to write a book. Fuck you. Write a book about me. That would be the shortest, most boring book because it'd be nothing but lies. Oh, wait, that'd be pretty good. 
pretty interesting. But anyways, uh, he he said if you ever if you're if you're an author and never see your book at a bookstore, uh, open it up and autograph it. And he's like, because then they can't return it. Oh <laughs> yeah, all my coworkers are like, you gotta sign it. We put it on staff picks too. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this is good. Um, so you know what's kind of funny was uh, I hate you, Joseph. <laughs> but uh, when I was talking about your comic book to a few people. One of the things that I said was that, in a way, it kind of reminded me of the comic book from Hell. Oh, because yeah. Yeah, that's been a big that. influence. That's be, be, great. Because you took, like, one event, the, the rape of this artist, but then you used it to talk about so many other things. And almost every time I told someone that, and they're like, oh, does it look like from Hell? And I'm like, no, it looks the exact opposite. But then you <laughs> yeah. cite Eddie Campbell as an influence. Which is funny because his style and your style are so different. So I was just wondering, how did he influence you? Oh, I mean, his style is amazing. I, I feel mean, like, not, I, I like it, but it's not like your... I mean, I guess... I feel like... Actually, my the last graphic novel I did um, was this book I did called Summertime. And people tell me that my style looks more like his okay. for that project. Oh. Um, but, uh, I would say that I see the influence. Not yeah. that it looks like his, like, oh, I don't know how to have my own style, but I can yeah. see you, like, seeing his and being like, oh, I, I yeah. really like that. And I feel like I can tell I, the story. I'm mostly like From Hell because of Eddie Campbell's art. Yeah, I, I think, think the, the, I mean, the yeah. art's a huge part of what makes it come across sincerely. Which is weird because I guess, I guess when I think of, like, From Hell, I think it's like, it's very straight lines, and there's, huh. like, you know, it's like a lot of, like, it's, it's almost difficult to tell. Which characters? Which sometimes because they're they're all these guys with mustaches. Which, <laughs> I'm coming up against that kind of okay, thing. yeah. Whereas like you 17th know, century style. Yeah. Where like yeah. all of, like all of your characters like you, I, you 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 know you give them their own kind of like individual feel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's though, partially part, just to avoid confusion. Like which, everybody's thank got you. as a reader, I say thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be like the things where you, you name people and then like their clothes are very distinct from another. Yeah. Or one of them uh-huh. will have a blade, uh-huh. and so there's like things. To, yeah, and again, well, a sword, a blade. Some of them have knives and some of them daggers. Have daggers. 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 Blade. A blade. Yeah, that's your well, favorite movie. Again, yeah. that's <laughs> that's coming up so much for the third part too, because all the men have the same mustache and pointy goatee and dark yeah. hair. So it's I kind of realized at a certain point, and again, it really helps doing this stuff with an editor. Because I have someone to be like, I'm confused, and, and I yeah. can work on that before it gets yeah. to this stage. It's all about different hats. So it's, yeah, it's different hats and outfits. Okay. And you, I, for a comic like this, where it's so dense with characters, and you're trying to keep track of everybody, and names and dates, and all these Italian names that sound sort of similar mm-hmm. to, to us. Yeah. You just have to sort of exaggerate the differences a little bit between the characters. Yeah, I, it's the only way to do it because otherwise, character, otherwise readers are like, like you have to make it over, like excessively obvious to yeah. your audience. Is what I've learned. Otherwise, yeah. it's just I've had problems in the past with people being like, "Wait, both characters have mohawks," and I'm like, "But one of them's floppy and one of them's yeah. sticks out." And char- so people are still like, drawing. "What?" You, you yeah. see every little difference. So it's, I've, I've tried to really accentuate the differences in, in hair, clothing, uh, body type is a big one, mm-hmm. and just even exaggerate those differences so that, because this stuff is so dense, each page is so full of information, the audience can't get wrapped up in who's who. It's, the minute you as a reader are like, wait, where am I supposed to go? Or like, wait, who is that? Is like, that's another minute that you're pulled out of the story and pulled out of the narrative. So you don't want that at all. Yeah. You want your readers to be able to just get sucked in, you know? Totally. So, uh, you know, uh, another thing. So I originally, so were you at Short Run? You yeah. were? I couldn't find your table. My stuff was at Fanagraphics. Oh, I avoided um, that table. Oh, really? <laughs> well, because, you know, I could get that stuff anytime. And yeah. so I wanted to, you know, so Fanagra- I just like, yeah. yeah, so I just, I skimmed by that table. I was like, yeah, I can get that shit. Yeah, it was just kind of an amazing fluke. I was working with a certain publisher and had to quit all of that. And this is all self-published. But Fanographics is expressing a lot of interest in the project. And they've been really supportive this year. I had original pages on display in October and September. I released the second volume there. 
Um, Larry's invited me to a few different events where I've been able to talk about the project. So Fanographics has kind of been starting to get more and more into it, more and more supportive, which is awesome. They're still not publishing yeah. it yet, but they probably will eventually. You should, you should tell them that so they should they, start publishing podcasts. <laughs> that would be cool. Brought to you by I bet they would love that. I mean, they're, they are cool. They, no, they're great. The, uh, yeah, some of the people involved are really great, and they've kind of got a little bit of a uh, circle of artists around them. The, the guys that are doing Intruder... We've had them on as guests. They've uh, some of those guys right. are doing really cool stuff, and they it's starting to be really positive. Just this year has been really positive. Wait, you think old fanographics was negative? <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, they were so, assholes before, <laughs> but now they're cool. No, so, they're, so, so, so anyway, so I was at their table. Okay, so anyway, so the, just before short run, I saw you at the lit crawl. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and you said a lot of interesting things towards the end of your presentation yeah, about yeah, like sure. thinking about. Um, like your life and like the problems you face in the historical context. And so I was yeah, wondering if you kind of totally. like repeat some of that. Totally. Yeah. Um, definitely when you're working on a project like this every day and sort of living with it, it's impossible to not draw parallels between like what's happening now and what's happening back then, both on a personal level, an artistic level, and a political level as well. And so I've, I've grappled with that a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just living the starving artist life. And uh, it gets hard sometimes to work on something like this uh, day in and day out with very little uh, positive reinforcement. It's hard to be doing this level of research and not be a student. Yeah. Things like that can uh, get me down. This but is so intricately like researched yeah like, it's obvious that yeah. so much like that didn't make it into it had to be in your mind yeah your absolutely and i'm glad that you can see that oh, because sure. uh well i um, told him he didn't actually see it well <laughs> that's not true at all. But, so but then, i mean you also like talked about like you know rising rents and like you know yeah like, exactly yeah so um so uh so yeah so i'm definitely like comparing artemisia's life to my own all the time just because I'm living with her and working on this project every day, basically. So, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a struggling artist, and Artemisia was a struggling artist. She had financial difficulties throughout her entire life, basically. And we know this because of a hand, different handfuls of letters that we've got. Um, uh, again, I've used Mary Gerard's uh, English translations of a lot of her letters that were published in her book and sort of used those for my um, research. And also for the the rape trial, I used uh, Mary Gerard's translation of that quite a lot for the first couple parts. And yeah, I mean, a lot of her letters are just to patrons and they're all about her struggle. Um, After her initial um, phase in Rome, after um, she was raped and her father took the rapist to trial. The trial was like eight months long and immediately after that she got married and moved to Florence. And in Florence, uh, uh, historians have been able to dig dig up um, uh, letters and also um, just in household inventories and also um, references to paintings in different patrons' inventories. And so historians have been able to sort of piece together her life bit by bit, especially in that Florentine period. And we know that she was in debt. And um, there's there were people that want, needed money from her, even simple things like pharmacists and mason, mason workers. Yeah. Just your average fucking household bills. bills to pay. Bills to pay. And then her husband was spending money behind her back. Ooh. And um, so there's a lot of tension. And then and then later, um, she went to Venice. Uh, well, actually, she moved back to Rome eventually. Presumably, she was just in so much debt and just in so much trouble at that point in Florence. She and her husband moved to Rome where they stayed for a while, and then um, her husband eventually left. Um, He's off the records completely by about 1624. 
Um, her household, she's just listed as Artemisia, head of the household painter, and her daughter. Um, in Florence, she had a, about four children. They all died except for one. It was very common for yeah. 17th century Italy. Children mostly died. Yeah. Women died a lot during childbirth. Um, so a lot of death was pretty common. Um, but then Artemisia ended up in Naples, and the financial tumult in Naples is intense to read about. And on the one hand, it's kind of like Seattle when you read about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's stuff like um, a really regressive tax system where poor people get hit the worst yeah. and overcrowding and skyrocketing rents and stuff like that. Yeah, and, so, so, and so, violence. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's similar. On yeah. the other hand, it's not similar at all because... Naples' system, with the way that their system ran, and again, it's kind of hard to summarize because it's so complicated, but, um, you know, it, it was a country that was ruled by Spain, and so Spain had these viceroys that were sort of in charge, but then the wealthy feudal families did not like the viceroys. <laughs> and they, but, you know, the tax system was just relentless, and then as the Thirty Years' War progressed, all of Naples' money and resources were going to Spain's war. And so Naples was just taxed and taxed and taxed until there was an enormous revolt in 14, uh, 1647. And the revolt, this is not like uh, a couple of anarchists smashing windows at Wells Fargo, boo-hoo. Mm -hmm. This was like, this revolution lasted for a year. Spain did not regain their power until 1648. I mean, this was an enormous uprising, and it triggered uprisings. She lived through all of that. She lived through all of that, and it, the revolt in Naples triggered uprisings all throughout southern Italy, hmm. and all throughout Europe. There were these sort of peasant uprisings. Um, the basics are there, but the nuances of these different political issues are really complicated and difficult for our minds to sort of wrap around, and it's hard to get information about that stuff. But at the same time all of this was going on, Artemisia was a single mother, unheard of, um, and she was trying to raise dowry money for her children. Mm. And well, it's hard. That's a lot of money. So dowries, well, the, 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 the money mm. for dowries was inflation. So it, the, the, like, in the same way that our expenses for our like I, internet or whatever, it's constantly getting higher. He shut the internet off. <laughs> But the, the, the dowry rates were constantly getting, as these yeah. nobles were trying to prove themselves over and over, this dowry is 2,000 ducats. Which, this dowry is... I mean, similar is, to scoots. people like so, trying to spend more money on their weddings. Yeah. Similar, yeah. 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 Well, and then the weddings too. But yeah. a dowry, a dowry was like the husband would pay the dowry for their daughter. And that was sort of like the money that was going to take care of your daughter for the rest of her life. The dowry, the laws for the dowry is dependent on what country, but certainly it was an enormous sum of money. And for Artemisia to come up with that money all on her own is phenomenal. And certainly she was not making the kind of money that her male counterparts were making on most of her art. That being said, she wasn't doing the kind of like huge fresco ceiling work that a lot of the most famous artists were doing. And that was the stuff that was really bringing in the dough for artists like Domenichino and Lanfranco and even artists like Bernini. I mean, those guys, Bernini was like a celebrity. He was incredibly wealthy. He was making shitloads of money. Artemisia was never making anywhere near what those guys were making. But in the same way that, you know, I'm definitely not well off uh, by any means. I would consider myself a struggling artist, but for sure I come from like a pretty middle class background and I'm not homeless. Things could be a lot worse. I'm able to make a men ends meet, you know, for the most part. Artemisia, for her time, certainly she wasn't making a ton of money, but she was by no means uh, a plebeian or a uh, you know, or uh, uh, she wasn't, I mean, painters were making way more than like cobblers, uh, mason workers, 
the manual trades. Mm-hmm. Certainly painters were making, or, or even other trades for women, which there wasn't there really. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you could be a washerwoman, right? Yeah. You'd make like one scuti in a week, maybe, yeah. or something like that. I mean, Artemisia was able to make like 200 or 150 scuti from one painting. And then, you know, that amount would depend on how many figures are in the painting and also on her relationship with the patron. But, you know, I mean, she struggled throughout, you know, throughout her entire life. Um, And, uh, but she just was committed to being a painter and that was her livelihood. And, and, uh, Somehow, somehow she just kept on going. I mean, and again, surviving revolts and, uh, I mean, full-on revolutions, having to provide dowries for these children. I mean, you know, it's just, it's miraculous, yeah. you know. And so when I feel really shitty about the fact that my apartment has mice in it and that I don't have any money for, like, organic food or something... Uh, you know, it's, uh, it helps to put things in perspective and just think, well, at least I don't have to come up with this dowry money all by myself. You know, it's just, it, uh, you can compare our modern financial situation to hers in all these different kinds of ways, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's funny just to think about someone like, you know, being in, like, okay, you're talking about like them being in debt and deciding to move and like trying to imagine like that conversation and like I don't know totally it's just it's it's I think sometimes hard for me to try to put myself in the mindset of people that lived 300 400 years ago yeah and like trying to think like okay honey okay honey I have this idea first off I'm saying honey even even that's (laughs) stupid like honey I know that we owe some people money but this is what we'll do. We'll move back to Rome. You'll start painting again. And <laughs> yeah. we'll start to, like, we'll find yeah. you some more pages. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's trying to, it's, I'm trying to imagine, like, how those conversations yeah. happen. That's, that's, like, story of my life yeah. in this project. It's yeah. trying to figure out. And that's why I've done so much research. Because <laughs> I feel like in order to, like, in order to, like, be able to recreate how these people would have looked, how they would have moved, how they would have spoke, how they would have interacted with each other... I, feel, I mean, I spent, before I even started, I just spent a year just re- just reading books about the time period so, so that so I could get comfortable enough to, like, even start yeah. to imagine what it would have felt like or what they would have spoke like, so, you know. Yeah, so, so besides, like, the French movie, was there any, do you ever come across stuff that maybe isn't as scholarly as, like, maybe written for the more general public that, like, just gets things wrong and just fucking drives you crazy? Yeah, okay. all the time. Yeah, all the time. I mean, about Artemisia or just about historical well, let, 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 yeah. Let's keep focused on her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's pretty much only, there's several books, uh, novels about her. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a pretty nice large body of, like, nonfiction work about her. But the novel stuff about her, um, in my opinion, it's not very good, any of it. Except for there's one book I really, really do like um, by uh, this woman, Alexandria Lapierre. Uh, she actually does, like, she has a notes section kind of like this, mm. where, she, where she details exactly how she came up with everything and why. And this woman... I mean, I'm using secondary sources because I'm not really able to travel to Italy at the moment. But Lapierre spent, she spent over five years traveling and looking through archives to get her information. Hers is good. The rest, I feel like, I mean, it depends on what you define as good. I, I didn't enjoy them. I mean, uh, <laughs> I just it thought de- it was kind it, of It roofy. depends what you can define. What you consider good. There's also a movie about uh, Caravaggio by uh, Jarman, uh, Derek Jarman that people think is great. I thought it sucked. I mean, uh, I, I, th- I think it was beautiful in the same way that the movie about, the French movie about Artemisia was beautiful. It was sexy. It was really sexy. It was really beautiful. Um, but it's just, uh, I didn't like it. I mean, I thought it was just... Uh, I'd be frustrated if the story was weird. No, yeah, because like I know, I know like sometimes like there's stuff, like either people or things that I'm into... 
And then there's like a movie or like a fucking TV show or something about it. Yeah, and, and you're someone, like, really? Well, there's someone I saw <laughs> yeah. knows like, oh, you know, I saw they made, you know, this movie. And you're like, no. And you're like, yeah, it fucking, and like, yeah, yeah. It fucking sucked. Yeah. And then like, they're kind of like disappointed. And yeah. And like, they feel weird. And they're like, All but sudden, I thought that that was, yeah. I you liked like, it. Yeah. 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 I thought you liked Rocky Erickson. I was like, I do, but the documentary fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that like that Kurt Cobain one that came out like oh, a few gosh. years ago. But you don't like yeah. Kurt Cobain either. I like Nirvana. I thought you did like Nirvana. Nirvana's cool. Oh, dude, fuck you. When when we had Wimps on, no, you can burp. Uh, when we had Wimps on, and they said, well, "Who's the most overrated band in Seattle?" You said Nirvana. Yeah, that I can like Nirvana and also think but they're be, overrated. Well, I mean, you, I can see liking Nirvana but feeling like oversaturated with Nirvana yeah. everything. I haven't listened to Nirvana a long time, but I used to in high school. But I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't like Nirvana. Oh, oh, it's tough. You know, like that one song they did on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I have no idea. No, uh, okay, so wait, we have a few questions before we gotta go. Um, wait, I kind of have to go pee. All right, okay. well, let's, uh, you know, let's pay some bills. All right. Do not paint your house yourself. If you paint your house yourself, you may slip off a ladder Whoa. and break a leg. Ow. If you break a leg, you can't go skiing. And your wife will ski with a guy. Bonjour. You may then be a single man and spend nights in a sports bar wearing a replica football jersey. Losers wear replica football jerseys. So do not try to paint your house yourself. Call Dixon Painting. They'll bring out a team of painters who can get the job done quickly and professionally. Search ChooseDixon.com or call them at 770-644-1992. So, okay, we have a few things. We got got some mail we got to do. Oh, Correspondence Corner. Correspondence Corner. Uh, corner. But before that, uh, so let's say Sony Pictures buys the rights to your life. (laughs) Who is going to play you in the movie? What? I know Uh, you hate pop culture, but pick a famous actor. I don't know anything about actors. So you've never seen a movie where you liked someone that was in the movie? Yeah, I guess, but I don't yeah. really watch movies. When was the last much. movie you saw? Are you saying you'd want it to be a documentary made by Ken Burns? I don't even know who that is. That's fine. I don't know. I don't know. You I don't really have to answer. You, you don't have to answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Correspondence let, <laughs> let's, let's hope that no one actually does want to make a movie of him. I don't know. I think it'd be a pretty good movie. Yeah, it'd be a great movie. I'd watch it. It, it, this, it starts off, you're having a rough day at the bookstore. <laughs> and then someone comes in with a big pile, blo- pile of uh, comic books. And you're going through it and you're like... It's and, my book. And then you start looking at and it. And then I just think about her whole life. She has think, she reads her own comic Yeah, she has to think about her whole life. Oh, my God, you're ridiculous. All right. Uh, Correspondence Corner. We're Correspondence Corner. So, Is it from the Accidentals? Uh, no, that wow. band I don't think is talking to us anymore. Wow. Long time, long time listeners will know why that band's not talking to us. Whoa. Uh, this comes from uh, Rachel in Bellevue. Uh, <laughs> your... It says, I listened, from Rachel and I listened to your uh, Lisa Prank episode. Mm-hmm. Were you guys sober? Because I didn't hear any cans opening. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh. Uh, yes, that episode was recorded during the day. Yeah. Uh, it we, has a different effect on our shows, that's for sure. It makes it less fun. Yeah. No. Um, anyways, but I did want to mention that... Uh, so I fucking hate most holidays. Uh, I hate Christmas. Uh, I wish there was a war on Christmas. There's not. I wish there was one. But one of the things I hate about Christmas is fucking the fact. Take your, your gifts back. Good. Good. Give them to give them to one of the many many homeless people that have to sleep on Broadway because our city has fucking shitty services for the homeless and has a higher population of homeless people than almost every major city in America. Not adjusted for per capita population. I'm not going to argue with that. That's great. <laughs> anyways, something there that I'm yeah. not ready for. Uh, yeah, fuck this city. But anyways, uh, one of the things I hate about Christmas is the fact that Rainier fe- feels the need to have a decorative can. Oh yeah, and I, I mean, feel everything does that. 
not everything. Most things. But I just feel like like it's somewhat somehow depressing it's not for cheap too beer. Bad, but it's like depressing it's for no cheap place. beer to be like, all right, we need to make the people drink and feel like they're having a good time. Like the more like, <laughs> I think that's a weird thing to have. So Jameson doesn't have a wacky label. But like when cheap beer's like yeah, you're drinking cheap beer, but it's the holidays. I Have think a good you're time. Being way too hard on the world right now. <laughs> you know what? The world's being hard on me. I, I mean, yeah, but it seems like you deserve it if you're making fun. Yeah, of Yeah, but cheap come on, games. you don't have any plagues to worry about. You're yeah. not oh, God. dowry what money. Dowry <laughs> is, this, is this what happens every time your friends hang out with you? You bring up like 17th century life no. in Rome. No, no, I try to not do that too much. I do a little bit. Yeah. But plagues, man. Uh, Fucking plagues. Uh, so, Gina, the person who will not be played by anyone in any Hollywood movie, uh, do you like to get coffee in the city? And if so, where's your favorite place to get coffee? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's places where I normally get it just for convenience, and there's places that I like. So I mean, what I like, places do you like? I like Allegro a lot. Oh, that's um, a good coffee place. They're always really solid. In the um, U District? Yeah, yeah. I like Allegro. Fuck, where else? Um, I end up at the Vita by my apartment, and it's pretty good. I don't know. I mostly make coffee at home these days. I'm one of those people that can't leave the house without it at this point in life. Oh, me too. Like, it's gotta be. So, I have a French press. I do a lot of coffee at home. That's great. That's perfect. I don't have a lot of money to go to coffee a lot of the time. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean. Well, hopefully, uh, you'll get the Accents on Purpose bump. Mm-hmm. Uh, with your comic book, and you'll be able to to be dropping dollars at all the coffee Ooh. places. Yeah, yeah, I'll be living the living the life then. <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> where do you like to get coffee? I'm so far. I'm Joseph, just this. unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, I'm looking at the door, fucking. The, the people uh, are banging at the door. The next show has to come into our studio. We're a little AM station. We only have one studio yeah. uh, to, re- to, to, to broadcast all of our shows through 88 watts of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, uh, following us, as every week, uh, is uh, Incense City, which uh, they will just come to the studio and light incense and so that the smells will come out of your speakers. Mm. This week? That would be cool. <laughs> this week it's lavender and peppermint. So, the holiday uh, season. The holiday season. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm Joseph. Every single Thank week. you, Gina, for coming on. Check out her fucking comic. Oh, yeah. It's, so, it's called I Know What I Am. How do we get in touch with you? Where do we find it? You have a website. Yeah, it's at my website, and it's also for sale at Fanagraphics, at Xanadu. Left Bank Books, which Left is Bank. where I got my copy. Yeah, yeah. Left Bank, Xanadu, Fanagraphics, www.ginasiciliano.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it when you say web addresses in a lower tone. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's all. Uh, earlier, a couple weeks ago, I was DJing at Revolver, and Ralph asked me to play a Patsy Klein song. A Patsy Klein song. A Patsy Klein oh, song. She sounds different than Platsy. Platsy. Uh, I like that. Platsy. Let's and, do a Patsy Klein cover make called Platsy Klein. <laughs> uh, hey, Ralph, this one's for you. Woo! I'll send you the track. Yeah, I hope so. But when I get through Drive her right out of your 
show Poor Susie will have to go When I get through with you You love me true I'm gonna be so good to you I love you my whole life through Pretty soon you'll feel the same You won't even know her name I'll give you kisses that she can beat I'll treat you so nice and sweet When I get through with you You love me true Hey, no, I'm podcasting. I'm just about to hit record. Yeah, I'll talk to you later.